This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we begin with Sidney Greenstreet in the role of Nero Wolfe. Now, Greenstreet was a British-born American actor who did not work in films until the age of 62, but enjoyed a run of notable hits in a Hollywood career lasting just eight years. He's best remembered for his Warner Brothers films with Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre, which include The Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, and Passage to Marseille. He became a naturalized United States citizen in 1925. He portrayed Nero Wolfe on radio from 50 to 51, and he also was the author of several quotes worth mentioning before we hear him in action. And here's one. Pictures, he said, are much harder to do than the theater. You're at the mercy of the camera angles and the piecemeal technique. Here's another one. The lens is the actor's best critic, showing his mind more clearly than on stage. You can get wonderful cooperation out of the lens if you are true, but God help you if you're not. Now, here he is in the first episode aired November 24th of 1950 and entitled The Beautiful Archer. Ladies and gentlemen, that phone bell means exciting adventure. Hello? Hello. The handsome young man answering the phone is Archie Goodwin. A mountain of a man engrossed in deep thought in the oversized armchair is Nero Wolfe. Hey, boss. Oh, Mr. Wolfe. Mr. Wolfe. There's a guy on the phone wants us to take a case. Seems that someone was mad at a guy who was mad, and now this guy on the phone is mad, wants us to find out who did the killing. What do you say, Mr. Wolfe? We need the money. <laughs> Hello? Yes, Mr. Wolf says he'll be happy to take the case. Just present yourself and a check for $2,000 at 601 West 35th Street at 11 o'clock. Mr. Wolf can't wait till you get here. He's dying to go to work. Goodbye. <sighs> Greatest detective in the world. The only trouble is... He is. <laughs> Yes, listeners, Archie is so right. He is the greatest detective in the world, and the fattest, and the least energetic. He's Nero Wolf, created by Rex Stout, and brought to you over this NBC network in a new series of adventures by Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. <laughs> Tonight, it's The Case of the Beautiful Archer. That's a good title. And it was a good case, too. It began in the consulting room of Dr. Raynard Townley of the Townley Sanitarium, uh, skipping a jump north of Nyack, New York. 
when a very lovely young lovely glared across the desk at the good doctor. Shall we pretend you don't know who I am, Dr. Townley? How could we possibly do that, my dear Diana Lawrence? Twenty-three years old, daughter of one of our better-known sculptors, Michael Lawrence. You were born in Johannesburg, educated in London and Paris, and live at present a hundred yards from here in your father's cottage on Berry Hill Lane. How's that? It's intended to be staggering, isn't it? You take no cream or sugar in your coffee, were winner of the Women's National Archery Tournament for 1947, and have an exceedingly high temper. Let's stop the nonsense. You have an inpatient here named Willard Garth. Oh, Willard Garth happens to be my fiancé. Yes, he has mentioned the fact during his analysis. And, um, well, has he by any chance mentioned his reasons for suddenly refusing to see me during the past five weeks? He didn't have to, Miss Lawrence. Well, what do you mean? I mean that I recommended he give you up as a bad job. What? Yeah. Well, I suppose you had some purpose in saying what you did. Of course. I'm the boy's doctor. You think you're in love with Willard Garth, I know. But actually, you're infatuated with the Garth millions. You take a lot on yourself, don't you, Doctor? I consider it important to relieve Willard of all painful external pressure. You've done well for Willard, Dr. Townley. Relieving him of me? I think so. Now, let's see you relieve yourself of me. You, uh, purchased the gun for this occasion, Miss Lawrence? Yes. And what exactly do you hope to accomplish with it? A quick and complete reversal of your decision about me. I'm not as easy to handle as Willard as you see. And if you intend to ruin my life, then I intend to end yours, here and now. The phone is ringing. Let it ring. Hmm? Just as you say. It's the house phone, Miss Lawrence. It may be Willard, you know. Oh, Willard? Yes, he uh, usually phones me from his room at about this time every day. Well, all right. Answer it, but be careful what you say. You're in command, it seems. Hello? Oh, why, hello. I thought it would be you, Willard. Look, my boy, Diana Lawrence is here. I've had a talk with her, and I've reconsidered my opinion. Yes, yes, I'm quite serious. If you're at all sensible, you see her regularly and plan on a marriage as soon as you're discharged. Yes. Oh, you do? Very well. I'll see if she'll talk to you. Uh, Miss Lawrence. Yes? Uh, do you want to speak with him? Uh, give me the phone. Of course. Here you are, and I'll oh, take this gun. You... There we are. Now, stand away, Miss Lawrence. But, 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 but Willard, Willard's on the phone. Willard's not on the phone. No one was on the phone. The ring came from the push-button bell under my desk here. Oh. Sometimes I find it convenient to interrupt my consultations with a phone call. Oh, you... You smug, deceitful, self-sufficient... Murder is a vexatious business. You'll be grateful to me one day. All right. Give me my gun and let me go. The gun, I'm afraid, stays with me. Here in this majolica cabinet. I'd scarcely feel justified in trusting you with it. And now... With your permission, or without it, the interview is ended. Later that day, the phone in the Lawrence house on Barry Hill Lane began to jingle. And this time, it was no phony. Hello? Diana? Yes? Willard, darling. Diana, darling, it's Willard. Imagine... 
Has the doctor let you use a telephone just as if you were a great big adult? Oh, I've got to see you, sweetheart, and I didn't call you to argue. Love, beauty, understanding, that's what matters, isn't it? Isn't it? Do I hear the overtones of a change of heart? Oh, Diana, what's happened wasn't my fault. He poisoned me against you. Then why don't you walk out of that amateur nuthouse and stand up like a man? I probably shall, Diana. And now, please listen to me. He's letting me have the limousine tonight from 8 until 12. I want us to go for a ride and, and talk and talk and talk until everything is clear. Clear as a bell, my baby. Don't tell me he's trusting you to drive. Oh, no. No, one of the handyman here will show for us. Oh, say you'll come, Diana. Will you? Say it. Say yes. Say you will. Well, yes, Willard. I'll be glad to. Oh, eight o'clock, then? Eight. Oh, bless you. Bless you, my angel. Oh. Oh, so that's it. You want my father's money. That's what you love. Not me. Willard, the chauffeur will hear you. It's the way Townley says it is. He's right. He's right. Why did I let you talk me into this? What a fool I was to have come at all. You're sick inside, Willard. So utterly, hopelessly sick. Oh. Oh, so now I'm... I'm hopelessly sick. Yes. Yes, you are. You're trying to confuse me. Take advantage of me. Wind me around your finger. Just because I love you too much. That's it. That's my illness. Of course, I see it now. You. You're the thing I must get rid of. You with your beautiful, beautiful face and your twisted values. You're at the bottom of all my agony. Willard! Willard! I'm saving myself. I'm saving myself. Once you're dead, the sickness is ended. I'll be safe. I'll be safe. Willard! Dr. Townley? Yes. Come in. Mr. Wolf's been expecting you. Come in, Dr. Townley. Come in. Have a chair. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. I'm so happy you've agreed to take this case. Have a glass of beer. Oh, no, no. Never at this time of morning, thank you. Well, doctor, the newspapers checked with what you told me. The girl and young Garth went out for a ride in your limousine last night. The car was driven by one of your handymen. That's right. Haynes, his name is. And they never came back. Young Garth was found dead in the car with two bullets in him. The girl was gone and also Haynes, the handyman chauffeur. Correct, sir. Have you any idea where he could be? No, sir. And the young lady, tell me about her. She's Diana Lawrence, daughter of Michael Lawrence. The sculptor? The sculptor. She lives with him in a small cottage near my sanatorium on Berry Hill Lane. An extremely aggressive and self-centered female with more than a slight flair for violence. Your description might easily lead me to suspect her of this murder, sir. Well, I'm aware of that. And I don't think you'd be far off the mark. As I told you on the phone, she tried to murder me yesterday morning. Hmm. The police have made no headway in locating her? No. The homicide division has contacted her father, but uh, he's remained quite noncommittal. He simply says that uh, he's sure she's incapable of killing a fly and that he hasn't laid eyes on her since 8 o'clock last night. Highly suspicious behavior. She was unquestionably in the car with young Garth when he was murdered. 
Hmm. And you wasn't alone in the car with him. You were uh, referring to Haynes? Yes, but he can't be found either, remember? It appears that he failed to list his address on his job application. But somehow, Mr. Wolf, I'm quite sure he'll show up this afternoon. Somehow, Dr. Towney, if I were you, I wouldn't be quite so sure. We must begin by facing the initial problem of locating our suspects. Archie. Yes, sir? Get out the car and drive up to the house on Berry Hill Lane. And then? There you will ask Mr. Michael Lawrence to be sensible enough to cooperate with us in finding his daughter. And if the answer is no? I recommend, Archie, that you flatly refuse to take it. Mr. Lawrence was no simple baby to handle. He was in a studio when I walked in, chiseling on a statue of a boy and a girl, both wearing less clothes than the law allows. And before I got a chance to state my name, he commenced giving me a free lecture on the marble work of art. She's good. Really good. She's practically superb. The Ariadne. The what, Ariadne? The girl in the statue. Oh. That's Ariadne. Tragic nymph of Greek mythology. Don't tell me you're not familiar with Apollo and Ariadne. All right, I won't. The Apollo, on the other hand, is unfinished. The face, you see, it, uh, <clears throat> it lacks something. The passion of yearning, Olympian desire. And yet, you know, the two figures have motion. Like your daughter? Eh? Your daughter, Diana, she's got motion also. As I hear it, she's been in motion ever since she murdered Willard Garth last night in the back end of a limousine. <laughs> so you're another flatfoot. Uh, not exactly. I'm paid in private by Nero Wolf. Nero Wolf? Yeah. You don't mean that a creditable man like Wolf thinks Diana killed young Garth? Well, he'd like to talk over the possibility with her. How laughable. Look at that face. Is there anything of the murderous in a face like that? In a face like what? Oh, I'm sorry. Diana posed for the Ariadne, you see. And the likeness is exact. Do you think a girl of this type, classic, sensitive, civilized could descend to the clumsy, brute level of murder? Well, it's... It's a little hard to imagine. There. Even you agree with me. On the other hand... Shall we discuss the other hand over a cup of coffee? I'm quite exhausted. If you insist. I do. Sit down and inhale the atmosphere of culture at its source. There's a pot warming on the stove. Pot of what? Coffee or culture? Well, wait and see what he means. Never ignore a phone call. Knows might be something important. Yes? This is Diana, Father. Oh, uh, oh yes, Diana. It's, it's all over the papers. Yes, I know. Well, I, I don't think they'll find me where I am. And I'm staying here until things quiet down a little. Where are you, honey? Uh, what did you say? I said, where are you? Me, honey. Uh, I know it's because I'm excited. Where are you, sweetheart? Well, you mustn't let anybody find out. Not a soul in the world. Where are you? Well, you know where Tyne Pike turns off to the left beyond Bartsville? Yes. Well, I'm... Call me later, Angel. But, Father, I... Oh. Oh, get that motorman's number. You will live, my friend, but not long if you don't control your curiosity. With that mallet you hit me, what was the big idea? Do you really have to ask that question? Well, is you trying to trick my daughter into disclosing her whereabouts? The police are pretty interested in her whereabouts. Then let them find her. But you can't be surprised, my friend, if I choose to protect Diana's interests. 
So he's working on an Apollo and Ariadne, is he, Archie? Who cares about Apollo and Ariadne? The point is how he worked on my gourd. That, of course, is unfortunate, my boy, but... Did you get that, please? Mm-hmm. Hello? Inspector Kramer. Hold it. For you. Here. Thanks. Yes? Wolf? Ah, how are you, Inspector? I hear you're in on the Garth killing. Not very deeply, I'm afraid. We're still trying to locate the Lawrence girl. Well, you can forget about that. Yeah? Yes. We've already located her and released her on a habeas corpus. That sounds interesting. Her father had a lawyer on her heads before she was in here ten minutes. Too bad you couldn't have held on to her. Oh, I don't know. I'm not so sure we want her. Why not? Well, first of all, it's not likely she did it. No? No. Ballistics stated that the bullets that killed Willard Garth were not fired from point-blank range. And she was sitting beside him on the back seat. I see. Also, we found the murder weapon in the grass near where the limousine was parked. And she admitted it was hers. That sounds like a poor reason to release her. Well, the point is she wasn't in possession of the gun when the killing happened. At least so she says. No, who was? The doctor. What doctor? Townley. The guy who runs that sanitarium. According to her, he took the gun away from her for safekeeping at noon yesterday. There was a little more talk between them, something about fresh cigar ashes that were found in the dashboard ashtray of the limousine. After that, the boss hung up and exerted himself enough to put a call through to the Townley Sanatorium. I'm afraid the doctor is very busy just now. So am I, and my business happens to be highly important. Well, I'll say you called, Mr. Wolf, and I'll ask him to contact you just as soon as he has a free moment. Do you happen to have a free moment, miss? Why, well, yes, sir. Could you spend it by telling me if that handyman, Mr. Haynes, is being located? Why, yes, as a matter of fact, he has. One of the staff just found out where he lives, Mr. Wolf. Well? He has a little cottage at 206 Dockside Road. That's out near Sheep's Head Bay. Thank you. Archie. I'm going someplace, I suppose. You are? You're going to Sheepshead Bay. Hello there. Hmm? Looking for a guy I can't find. Oh? Yeah, his name is Haynes. Stopped at the cottage up there, but there's no one there. I saw you here on the wharf fishing, so I... What did you say his name is... Haynes. H-A-I-N-E-S. Oh, oh, Haynes. Yeah. yeah, do you know him? Well, there's a fellow named Hines used to fish No, out no, here. no, not Hines. Haynes. Couldn't be Huntingburg? No, it couldn't be. The name is Haynes. H-A-I-N... Haynes! Give me a hand here, eh? <laughs> well, what do you know? <laughs> Funny, eh? That guy seems to think my name is Haynes. Yeah, so do I. You do? Yes, I... <laughs> I got back to our house, soaked to the skin and minus Haynes, and just in time to see the boss in the exhausting process of walking across the room to answer the phone. Hello? This is Dr. Townley. You called me. So I did. About the murder? More specifically, about the statement from Diana Lawrence that you removed a firearm from her possession yesterday morning. That's quite correct. It's here in my Majolica cabinet. Is it? Of course it is. I suggest you check. Just a moment. Yeah? I'd like to see you at once. Then I suppose it's vanished. But how did you know? 
Because it is a ballistics, Doctor. It turned out to be the gun that killed Willard Garth. I... I see. Do you? Yes. I understand everything now. It's all so crystal clear. Just how crystal clear? I'm quite certain, Mr. Wolf, that I can put my finger on the killer. And I think it'd be well if you came here immediately. Oh, I'm afraid it's impossible, sir. Uh, there's an important operation scheduled, and I simply cannot leave. What do you suggest? Well, is it outside the realm of possibility that you come here? Is it, Mr. Wolf? Hello, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Wolf? <laughs> When my boss has to leave the house, it's a major tragedy. Sometimes he rages, sometimes he curses the whole detective business, lock, stock, and barrel. And sometimes he keeps very quiet and grips the side of the car desperately and tries not to inhale any fresh air. This was one of the quiet times. Just go slowly, Archie, but get there as quickly as you can. Oh, you don't want a chauffeur, Mr. Wolf. What you need is a magician. Keep your eye on the road and don't strain yourself to make superfluous witticisms. Why don't you try relaxing a little? I hear there hasn't been a man-eating tiger sighted on the Sawmill River Parkway in the last 500 years. Your liberty is out of order. Don't try to make light of a deplorable situation. Here's the sanatorium. And there's Dr. Townley coming to meet us. It's terribly nice of you to have come, Mr. Wolf. I've heard about your aversion to traveling, and I appreciate your going to the trouble. Don't mention it. Oh, Archie, help me out with my other arm. There you are. Now, calm down. You're all in one piece. I think you'll find the trip highly profitable, Mr. Wolf. You'll consider it time very well. Hey, hey, what's the matter? What is it? What happened? He's been shot. Sadly likely, there wasn't a sound. This kind of shot doesn't make a sound, boss. What do you mean? Better take a look for yourself. There's an arrow in his back, and he's dead. We remembered that Dr. Townley had said Diana Lawrence had won the Women's National Archery Tournament for 1947. The Lawrence house was visible through the trees a hundred yards away. So we started for it and the sculptor's studio. There's no one around. So this is his latest effort, Apollo and Ariadne. Yeah. Done a little work on it since I was here. The Apollo's face is more finished and... Hey, boss. Yes? You know, somehow or other, Apollo looks a little familiar. I wouldn't be surprised, Archie. I think if you examine it closely... Ah, our host. You remember me, don't you? I met you once at a dinner party at your house, the time they opened the new museum on 67th Street. Of course, of course, Mr. Lawrence. And to what do I owe the honor? It's not much of an honor. Dr. Townley has been murdered. No. I am afraid Mr. Goodwin is being accurate. He's been murdered with a bow and arrow. And what does that mean to you, Mr. Lawrence? I'm sorry. I've been a fool. An awful fool. You can't blame yourself too much. If you'd cooperated with the police instead of looking out for your daughter's interest, the man would still be alive. But I assure you that... Where's the girl? She should be here now. She phoned me a while ago and said she was coming by for passage money to Rio. You were looking for me? Lost. Diana. 
Puts a gun down, Angel. And tie a rope around my neck? Might I inquire if your plan is to kill us all, Miss Lawrence? Oh, what would yours be if the world was after you for something you didn't do? Wouldn't you be willing to risk persuading a jury of that? Thanks, no. I'll skip that chance. Father, Father, get me the money. Diana, sweetheart, don't make me a part of your murders. That's asking too much of love. Don't, don't you know I'm not guilty? No, no, Diana, I don't. <laughs> Leave that gun away, Diana. Hey, Looks like I walked in on the nose. That's him, boss. The guy who soused me. Take a little of your own advice. Relax, Archie. What do you want here, Mr. Haynes? I want to give up and try to straighten out this little deal. Mr. Lawrence. Yes? Here's your money back. You got a right to call me a welcher. I promised I wouldn't give evidence against the girl and you paid my price. But enough is enough and right here and now I'm unloading. Just what does this mean? It means I saw her do it. <gasps> oh, you, you stupid lying Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's Trevor, Archie. Trevor, get the pair of them out of here. What can I say to myself now? What can I do? I'm sorry, Mr. Lawrence, but it's not necessary to eat your heart out. Many fathers before you have done their best and failed. But I had a special duty toward Diana. Special duty? Yes. I... Well, you see, you find it out sooner or later, so I'd best tell you now. I'm not a real father. I adopted her nine years ago when she was 14. I see. And I should never have done it. I realize now that I wasn't equal to the task. Well, 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 all's not lost yet. They may not convict her, you know. Yeah? I said they may not convict her. But how could they fail to convict her? She killed Garth, didn't she? Did she? She shot him. But the gun was in Townley's possession. She could easily have stolen that. She could have broken into his office later. It wasn't locked. What wasn't locked? The Majolica cabinet. I mean... I believe you mean what you said, Lawrence. The Majolica cabinet. For the life of me, I can't see how you could know whether it was locked or not, unless you had the experience of opening it. Could it be that you went looking for the gun yourself after Townley said he had confiscated it? That you kill Tony with a bow and arrow, which you handle as well as your daughter, because he was just on the point of telling me that you knew where the gun was and that you were the likeliest murder suspect? You must be mad. Oh, sir, not I. <laughs> but you are mad and more than a little. You hated Willard Garth. It was you who were making the marriage impossible. You loathed him, and in the end, you killed him. How could I have killed him? I'll tell you a little secret, Mr. Lawrence. The police found cigar ash in the dashboard tray of the death car. Chemical analysis showed that the ash was from an El Adoro cigar. What have you got in your left hand, sir? In my... Uh, an El Adoro cigar. And in my right hand, a derringer. Powerful and admirable little weapon, Lawrence. I suggest you show proper respect for it by dropping all this here and now. You don't wish to hear me say the rest, that you were horribly in love with Diana, your own adopted daughter, in love and hopelessly, eternally frustrated? You begrudge me the triumph of accusing you of having bribed Haynes to let you take his place at the driver's seat of the limousine? And further bribed and threatened him into putting on his show of many pranks and false confessions to confuse us all beyond measure? You said I loved Diana. Would I do all this to her if I did? Oh, but of course, such love as yours is really hate. You were content to see her dead rather than relinquish her. 
Like all miserly, small-hearted men, you would rather kill the thing you love than muster the generosity necessary to seeing it attain happiness. That's enough out of you. I should think it was much too much. It is. Archie, my boy, I'm grateful to you both for coming back into the house when you did and for being such a good shot. Hope you remember that next time you feel like insulting me. <laughs> Tell me, what's with that cigar ash routine? Who told you the ashes in the limousine were from an Eladoro, boss? I never heard anything about that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, neither did I. No one could possibly have determined the brand by any chemical means in existence. I knew that, you see, and I took the long chance that Lawrence didn't... Aha. Uh-huh. But I still don't get the mainspring of the deal. How did you know he was in love with Diana? That, oh, that was genius, I have to admit it. You see, it all hinged on the statue of Apollo and Ariadne. According to the Greek myth, Apollo fell deeply in love with the nymph, but because they were of different worlds, he was condemned to pursue her always and never to catch her. Well, what's that got to do with the price of eggs? Isn't it perfectly obvious? Didn't he tell you that Diana had posed for the Ariadne? Yeah, but I still don't... And you yourself remarked on the fact that the finished Apollo looked somehow familiar, didn't you, Archie? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Don't you know why that was? You mean that... I mean that Michael Lawrence unconsciously revealed the true state of his heart. He didn't intend to, I suppose. But precisely and accurately, he chiseled the features of the tortured god in his very own image. Oh. And speaking of torture, Archie... Yeah? Will we be home in time for dinner? Oh, boss, you can't be that hungry. Oh, I am. Good heavens, Archie. Do you realize that I haven't eaten since lunch? You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story by Peter Berry was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Larry Dobkin as Archie Goodwin and Gigi Pearson, Ted Von Els, Bill Johnstone, Peter Leeds, and Jay Novello. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolf and Archie will bring you The Case of the Brave Rabbit. Don Stanley speaking. Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Faye next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Phil Harris and Alice Faye, and the episode first aired in 1949 entitled Jury Duty. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday, time for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show Presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products And your Rexall family druggist Good health to all from Rexall And now 
now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. <laughs> Two days ago, Phil received a notice to appear for jury duty. Fully realizing the responsibility of jury service, Phil's reaction when he first opened the letter was that of the average civic-minded citizen. I ain't gonna go! (laughs) But the next day, after Alice pointed out that it's un-American to say he wasn't going to go, Phil changed his tone. How can I get out of it? <laughs> However, he was unable to think of a way out, and today at two o'clock he has to appear at City Hall to see if he can qualify. Alice and the children are waiting for him to come downstairs. Well, Phyllis, I guess Daddy will have to go today, unless he can think of another excuse. What's left? He's gone through everyone in the book. <laughs> now, now, girls, your daddy was only joking with all those excuses. He really wants to serve. He wouldn't try to get out of Hiya, going kids. Down... Oh, good morning, Alice. Oh, good morning, Phil. I was just telling the children that... Phil, what are you doing on crutches? <laughs> I got good news, honey. I broke my leg. Oh, now you broke your leg. Where did you break it? Right in the back of the knee. See the way it bends in the middle? <laughs> oh, Daddy, you're slipping. Two days to think of an alibi and you come up with a corn pole like that. <laughs> Well, at least it's better than the excuse he dreamed up yesterday Which one? Number 18 The one in which you wanted me to shave all my hair off So you could tell them your wife just blew her top I didn't say that Oh, Phil, why are you trying so hard to get out of jury duty? A lot of men would welcome the chance to serve Yeah, well, if that's true, maybe I could hire one of them to take my place There must be somebody who would do it for money Somebody who'd be... Good morning, Philip. (laughs) Well, if it ain't Willie, show me $3 and I'll sell out my own grandmother, Faye. (laughs) Hey, Willie, I got a proposition for you. How would you like to be Phil Harris for a day? (laughs) What a revolting... (laughs) How do you like that? I give the guy a chance at heaven and he turns it down. (laughs) Better think that over, Clyde. I I don't want to be Phil Harris I've been William Fay all my life And I like it Only because you were born that way And you don't know any better <laughs> Forget it, Willie You couldn't be me anyway There is only one Phil Harris And that's I What did my sister ever do to deserve you? I don't know But she must have led a very clean life <laughs> She was just a fortunate gal To have gotten the pride of the South well, lucky little old me is just the luckiest little old thing that ever did live show now. Oh, right. <laughs> well, shut my mouth, mint my julep, and yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> Are you finished, Aunt Jemima? <laughs> Getting back to you, William You know, it ain't easy to be a Phil Harris If you're looking for sympathy, you've come to the wrong person (laughs) I didn't mean it that way 
Philip, why do you want me to pretend I'm you? Oh, ignore him, Willie. He's just trying to get out of jury duty. He's trying to find someone to go in his place. Philip, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's a despicable thing to do. You're completely incorrigible, and it's about time somebody pounded some sense into you, and I... Oh, stop slapping my wrist. (laughs) Get lost, will you? Very well, but I think you are a cad. If you were any kind of a citizen, you wouldn't shirk your duty. Goodbye. (laughs) One of these days, I'm going to do his ditty. Can't understand it. How could Rexall keep a guy like that working for him and fire Remley? Phil, leave Willie alone. He may have his peculiarities, but at least he has ability. Why, if he ever lost his job, he wouldn't have to go around from door to door selling shoelaces like Frankie did last (laughs) night. Oh, doll. (laughs) Remley was only kidding. He wasn't really selling shoelaces. After all, it takes more than one week to get a good job. Frankie was looking around. (laughs) Being particular. I guarantee by now the guy has a fine position. Uh, I'll get it. Fresh fish! (laughs) Frank, drop that tired halibut and come in here. Haven't you found a job yet? I got a job. I'm selling fish. Oh, Frankie. What kind of a job is that? Going from door to door selling fish. How do you like that? Just because he married into money, becomes a snob. <laughs> now, do you want to buy some fish or don't you? All right, all right. If it'll help you out, I'll buy the fish you're holding. Oh, I can't sell you this one. <laughs> this is a sample. <laughs> A sample fish mm-hmm. You don't happen to have a catalog Of your new spring line <laughs> Look, are you going to sell me That fish you got or aren't you? No, I can't, Curly Been carrying him around for five days now And he's sort of become a pet <laughs> I couldn't bear to part with little Tomaine Now look, Remley, I'm not going to stand here and listen to all of this kind of... I wish you wouldn't raise your voice. (laughs) You'll wake my fish up. (laughs) Besides, in my weakened condition, you're shouting grates on my nerves. All right, all right, wait a minute. What are you weak from? I gave you money yesterday for food. You ate, didn't you? Well, it's this way, Curly. As I left my room to eat, the landlady was standing there barring my way. (laughs) She stuck her arm out and demanded the rent. Oh, it was a question of eating or paying the landlady. Which did you do? Both. Both? Her arm was delicious. <laughs> Remley, are you going to stop now with them wild stories? Ate the landlady's arm. All right, so I'm only kidding. Well, that's better. Now, look. I'd like you to come over sometime and meet Wingy. <laughs> look, Remley. Cut it out, will you? Now, what are you weak from? Well, I was ashamed to tell you, but you must know my landlady put me out and I have no place to live. I'm weak from lack of sleep. (laughs) Well, gee, Francis. (laughs) Why didn't you tell me? 
I was ashamed. Well, if you have no place to stay, you can... You can move in with me and Alice until you find something. No, no. I wouldn't impose on you and Alice. But, Frank, I insist. At least stay overnight. Well, all right, but just overnight. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, fellas, you can bring in my four trunks now. <laughs> four trunks just to stay overnight with all that stuff? You could stay here a year. Gee, thanks, girly. That means I can spend my sabbatical at your place. Frankie, look, you're only staying overnight. Hey, Mr. Ringley, where do you want these trunks? Oh, put them any place upstairs in the master bedroom. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> put them in the guest room. That is, if you don't mind roughing it, Mr. Remley. <laughs> if that's the way you want it, okay. I guess that's life. When a man's down, he gets kicked around. <laughs> Nobody's kicking you around. I'm glad to have you live with us. Alice and me will be... Alice. Uh-oh, I gotta tell her. Well, tell her, that's no problem. Ordinarily, no, but with you, it is. <laughs> hmm? You know, Remley, you're not the easiest guy in the world to live with. And Alice might object. Let's go ask her anyway. Why should she object to me? I'm not going to be putting her out. I don't expect her to change her mode of living just for me. I don't want her to do anything that she... Curly, what's all that racket? That's not racket. Alice is practicing her song for the show. She practices every Sunday. Every Sunday? And every day. Every day, too? Curly, while I'm here, that'll have to stop. Stop? Why? I take a nap every afternoon and I can't be disturbed <laughs> I don't mind her singing, but can't she do it some other time? Be quiet, will you, and listen This happens to be talent If you were to ask me who the sweetest one I knew was I'd say you was If you were to ask me who my favorite point of view was I'd say you was I've got a heart that hollers When you're not close to me But when you're here, the funny part is My heart is a spherical, lyrical miracle All the day, if you were to ask me Who my extra special guy was I'd say you were If you were to ask me Who my rainbow in the sky was I'd say you were Supposing you paid a visit to a certain preacher Suppose you overheard me practicing I do And you were to ask me who the bride and groom to be was I'd say we was, me and you If we were to ask you who the captain of your crew was Oh, I'd say he was, I mean old corn poem If we were to ask you who the apple of your eye was Oh, I'd say he was not old ham hock. Yes, old ham hock. Sometimes I think he isn't worth the trouble. But when that curly head of his comes into view, then if you should ask me who the happy ones to be was, I'd say we was me and you. <laughs> Hey, Curly, now that Alice is finished, let's go in and tell her that I'm going to live here. 
Gee, Frankie, she sounds so happy, I hate to spoil it. <laughs> well, I guess we have to tell her. Look, you wait here, I'll go in and break it to her. You know, this situation requires delicate handling. Okay, Carol. Uh, Alice. Yes, Bill? Um, Alice, um, uh, about our empty guest room. Oh, did Willie mention it to you, too? Mention what? Well, this morning, Willie said he was getting tired of living alone and hinted that he'd like to move in with us. But I put my foot down. I wouldn't have anyone living with us, including my own relatives. <laughs> now, what were you going to say? Have you seen my Harry Carey knife? <laughs> you start to say about the guest room? Oh, the, with the guest... Well, mm-hmm. uh, as long as we have the room, I... Well, I... Well, I think we ought to use it. I mean... Well, after all, what are we saving it for? Oh, you know very well what we're saving it for. We plan to have another baby someday. A boy, we hope. And, well, nobody gets that room but my son... Alice. <laughs> I got good news for you. What? You've just become the mother of a bouncing 185-pound boy. <laughs> Named Frankie. Phil, what are you trying to say? Oh, honey, Frankie's moved in with us. He's going to stay with us. I knew you wouldn't mind and. And he's just... Alice, what are you doing? Looking for your Harry Carey knife. And remember, ladies first. Oh, honey. (laughs) It ain't gonna be so bad. Besides, Frankie won't be with us long. How long? Oh, just until he finds another job. You mean for the rest of our natural lives? (laughs) Phil, he hasn't... Oh, well, if Frankie's in a spot, of course we'll help him out. He can stay. Oh, gee, Alice, I knew you'd say that. You're a sweetheart. Hey, Remley, come on in. Okay, Curly. <clears throat> hey, Alice says it's okay. Gee, thanks, Alice. Nice of you to allow me to stay here. Oh, that's all right, Frankie. But I'll have to ask you to conform to our household routine. Routine? Yes. <laughs> you see, on account of the children, we have to be very punctual. We have breakfast at 7, lunch at 12, and dinner at 6 sharp. Your room is next to the children, so you won't be able to play your radio after 8, and you'll have to turn your lights out at 9. Do you understand? Yes, Sergeant. <laughs> what time do we have band at practice? <laughs> Don't be a wise guy, Remley. <laughs> to go through basic training to live here. <laughs> What are you kicking about? At least you'll be able to get out of the barracks at night. (laughs) Very true. Well, I better go upstairs, get my clothes out of the trunk. Okay, I'll go up and help you. Don't be long, Phil. You have to be down at City Hall later to qualify for jury duty. Oh, Alice, why do you have to remind me? I purposely tried to forget it. You've been called for jury duty, Curly? Yeah, and I'm trying to think of some way to get out of it. You got any ideas, Remley? (laughs) Yeah. Just get down and let him give you the literacy test. (laughs) That ought to do it. Mr. Remley. (laughs) I'm a little tired of people making fun of my lack of education. I went to school. My education may not be complete. 
But it ain't my fault if mother had to take me out of Harvard after my sophomore year. <laughs> Harvard? That's a college. <laughs> I had to leave just before I got my degree. I was working toward a FUD. <laughs> FUD? Yeah, PhD, FUD. <laughs> Alice, I don't think he believes I went to college How could he doubt it? I'll go get your Phi Beta Kappa key and show him And I'd better bring your oars, too What oars? Have you forgotten, Philip? Today is the day of the Poughkeepsie Regatta And you're rowing stroke for dear old Harvard A rah, rah, rah to sophomore Phil <laughs> Now with her. <laughs> Somebody must have sprinkled paprika in her bubble bath. <laughs> hey, Remley, seriously. Now, look, I got to get out of this jury duty. Why? Well, because I'm sure that they're picking me to be a juror on a murder trial. The paper said they're selecting the jury this week for that wall bed murder case. So? So. I don't want to judge another man's life. After all, I don't know the facts, and them lawyers will confuse me. Oh, there's no sense kidding myself. I'm not too smart. That's a masterpiece of understatement. <laughs> Look, Curly, instead of wasting your time trying to get out of jury duty, why don't you read the papers and learn all the facts about the case? If you do that, you can decide whether the guy is guilty or not even before you go down. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Hey, that way I might not even have to waste my time sitting through the trial. I'll just phone in my verdict. <laughs> That's right. Let's get the papers and decide right now whether this guy is guilty or not. Well, come on. <laughs> Well, Curly, we've read all the newspaper accounts of this wall bed murder I can't figure out whether this guy did away with his wife or not What do you think? My dear Remley <laughs> The solution is obvious After carefully analyzing the evidence and weighing all the facts pertinent in this crime I have come to the definite conclusion that this man is guilty Unless, of course, he didn't do it. <laughs> Thank you, Sam Spade. <laughs> Remley, look. This guy must have done it. Now, he claims his wife accidentally suffocated in a wall bed, but that's impossible. How do you know it's impossible? Well, it's gotta be because you... Look, come with me and I'll prove it. Uh, well, how are you gonna prove it? Well, look, we got a wall bed in the little room off the hall. Now, I'll show you it's impossible to suffocate when the bed is up. I disagree. All right, all right. I'll pull the bed down and show you. <laughs> we ain't used it in a long time. <laughs> oh. For a minute, I thought you had the harp player in there. <laughs> all right, now look. Remley, do you see all the space in the wall? Yeah. Now, how could you suffocate? Look, 
when you push the bed up into the wall with a person in it, there ain't that much space. Well, I'll prove it. Curly, lie down. Okay, I... Wait! <laughs> Remley, I'm going to be the perfect host. You're tired from the lack of sleep. Yeah. Lie down. <laughs> you think I'm crazy or something? You do it. I can't. I can't. I've got to stay alive to serve on jury duty. You ain't working. You got nothing to lose. <laughs> Now look, Frankie, one of us has got to lie down on this bed to prove our point. It's evidence. I don't want to be evidence. All I want to... Hey, run your groceries and... What are you guys doing in this room? <laughs> Gentlemen of the jury, I give you Exhibit A. <laughs> yeah. What a wonderful subject to reenact a crime with. Hey, Julius, there's something we want to talk to you about, kid. Sit down. Uh, no, 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 not on the chair, on the, right on the bed. Uh, yeah, we want you to, to, to uh, rest. Yes, son, we know that you work very hard. Stop and... beating around the bush. <laughs> what diabolical scheme are you plotting for me now? Julius, that is an unkind cut. <laughs> Why should I plot against you? Why, I feel toward you like I would toward my own son. And I love every hair on your pointed little head. <laughs> Julius, you misunderstand us. We might have done some things to you, might do, that you consider unnecessarily cruel. But believe me, lad. <laughs> anything we've ever done to you has been for your own benefit. <laughs> You mean like the time he tried to blow me up? <laughs> How was I supposed to benefit from that? You were down in the dumps and we were trying to give you a lift. <laughs> look, Julius, we're performing a little experiment and we want you to help us. Now, look, I say if a person gets caught in a wall bed, they can't suffocate. But Mr. Remley says they can. And all we're asking you to do is let us stuff you in the wall so that we can see which one of us is yeah. right. <laughs> Fellas, what did you do with the hammer? <laughs> what hammer? The one you've been banging each other over the head with. <laughs> you have to give me a million dollars to get me in that bed. It's a deal. Here's two dollars down and you get the balance as soon as you suffocate and prove I'm right. <laughs> Never mind, Frankie. Let him go. If he don't want to do it, he don't have to. Let's forget it. All right. Come on, let's put the bed back up. Help me lift it, okay. will you? Yeah, it's stuck Yeah Oh, oh, wait a minute There's a release lever in the back of the headboard there Hey, Julius, reach over the bed and release that lever, will you? Okay There <laughs> Thanks, kid, I... <laughs> hey, Frank Did... Did Julius go someplace? <laughs> must have. I don't see him around. I wonder if he's... Hey, you folks, let me out of here! He is. <laughs> hey, where are you, Julius? You know where I am. I'm in this bed. Well, shame on you going to bed without brushing your teeth. <laughs> 
Are you resting comfortably, kid? How can I be comfortable? I'm standing on my head. <laughs> my, my, such a sloppy sleeper. <laughs> Never mind that. Can you still breathe in there? Yeah, but I can do a better job outside. <laughs> <laughs> let me out! Let me out! Let me out! Rather a high-strung youngster. <laughs> well, you see, Remley, I was right. He can still breathe. He can't suffocate in there. No, no, it's too early to tell you. I bet you ten bucks he don't last more than five minutes. Okay, it's a bet. It's impossible for him You're to... You're betting go- on me! What am I, a roulette wheel? <laughs> Talking, conserve the air. I got ten bucks riding on your nose. Ignore him, kid. I'm betting on you, too. Inhale deeply. The air is free. Use it up. I don't want to use it up. I want to save it for my old age. Now, you see, Remley, he ain't having no trouble breathing at all. We might as well let him out. Now, do you give up? All right, you win. That darn kid. He's living just to make a fool out of me. Well, that proves my point. Now, when I serve on the jury, I'll know what I'm talking about. I'll be able to convince the other jurors that a person can't suffocate in a wall bed. Suppose they don't believe you. Well, I don't. Julius, will you shut up in there? I'm trying to think. There must be some way that I can prove that he... Remley. Hmm? I got it. We're all set, Remley. Right. Let's get started for City Hall. Okay. Phil, Phil, why didn't you tell me you were leaving? I wanted you to... Phil, what have you got tied on top of the station wagon? A wall bed? <laughs> I'm taking it down to City Hall to prove a point. Oh, go to sleep, will you? Come on, Remley, let's get it. Okay. <laughs> Folks, don't forget to contribute to the American Heart Association. Good night, everybody. Good night now. Good night. The program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. The part of Frankie Remley was played by Elliot Lewis, and Julius was played by Walter Titley. Palace Faye appears with the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Rexall. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's yours truly, Johnny Dollar, followed by the Red Skelton Show. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.